Thank you. Have you ever thought about how much you know about your neighbors and how much your neighbors know about you? Well, today we're going to find out about these five good neighbors who live in Topanga, California. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty Group, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. Hi, this is Mookie Dreyer, and you are listening to Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you to hour number two of our special tribute to broadcast legend Regis Philbin here on TV Confidential. Later on the program, we will play audio highlights from Regis's stint as the announcer and on-air sidekick to Joey Bishop on Bishop's ABC late night talk show from the mid to late 1960s, including the night in November 1969 when Philbin ended up taking over as host of the show after Bishop Walked off the air. That's coming up later on in the hour. In the meantime, joining us now is our friend Steve Beverly. Steve Beverly, professor of communications at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, where he coordinates the broadcast journalism major and serves as the supervisor for the daily student-produced newscast Jackson 24-7. Steve also hosts Steve Beverly's TV Classics, a weekly TCM-like festival of classic TV shows from the 50s and 60s, which originates from E Plus TV Channel 6 in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, Steve is also, and this is this is how I first met Steve. Steve, for many years, was one of the people who put together the annual Game Show Congress. The Game Show Congress, it was sort of like a Star Trek convention, but for game show enthusiasts and for game show alumni and for game show producers, correct? That's exactly right. It's probably, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, most people are talking about Regis and his imprint on daytime television hosting live with Regis and uh, before that AM Los Angeles here in L.A. Regis has a lot of roots in game shows. He does, and, of course, the one that unquestionably is the exclamation point was who wants to be a millionaire because that opened the door again that had been closed for nearly 30 years to primetime network game and quiz shows because after 1971 when you had the last three that were all on ABC let's make a deal the newlywed game and the real game which was a short-lived one that Jack Berry produced when all of those were canceled except for maybe just a few brief three- or four-week runs of uh, some games that had been tried out. Dick Clark in the early 80s had one called the Krypton Factor, and uh, you had one that CBS did for about four weeks, one summer called the Hollywood Game that Bob Gowen hosted. But for the most part, the doors were closed because the feeling was that networks did better with a script, and there was really, if you will, a bias against game shows. And Regis, when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire premiered in 1999, there honestly was not a lot of optimism at ABC. They'd done some tracking research in advance, and the projection was that the best that show was probably going to do, even as a summer replacement, was a 10 to a 12% share. Mm -hmm. And everybody was stunned whenever this juggernaut developed and Regis being the centerpiece of that. But he also had a connection that went all the way back 
1976 when he hosted uh, probably one of the worst game shows ever in daytime television <laughs> called The Neighbors, yeah. which oddly enough, most weeks actually slightly outpointed the edge of night in the ratings. <laughs> but it was a terrible show because it was very exploitative of, of one of the worst stereotypes of women that they're gossips. Yeah. And so it was based around the fact that women were gossips, and that's how the questions were structured. And But Regis was tapped for that largely because he had a new ABC contract. He, at the same time, was brought on board as the field reporter. Of Almost for, Anything Goes. Almost Anything Goes. I love, I love the, that show. short-lived attempts to get into reality television. Yeah. And for those who don't remember, it, Almost Anything Goes was a show that usually was in small towns mm-hmm. that it looked like it was a big festival at a country fair. Yeah. And they played these oddball games that you would see sometimes that would be played at a county fair or a regional fair. And so Regis was the field reporter. Charlie Jones and Lynn Shackelford were the play-by-play artists. Mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing about it, they played it straight, but Regis would come out, and he would just be Regis yeah. interviewing the contestants uh, on the field. So he literally had both primetime and daytime exposure on that. And that's really his – most people associate him, and justifiably so, with Millionaire, but his real – connection started more than 20 years earlier why do you think millionaire connected was it the right time right place uh was it the regis factor or was there more to it than that all of the above plus a couple of other things it's real interesting if i really began to first understand the power of the internet when Millionaire took off as it did, I had a website that I did for about 10 years called tvgameshows.net. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, it had largely been, I'd been doing it for about three years, and it was largely a nostalgia website that looked back at classic game shows and uh, you know the things that we finally remembered about them. But at that point in time, we were really down to a very slim pickings, even in syndication, because you had Wheel and Jeopardy, the two big six-headed monsters, mm-hmm. and then you had the uh, Tom Bergeron version of the Hollywood Squares, and CBS still was carrying on with The Price is Right mm-hmm. in daytime. But that was largely it. Uh, we just did not have that much of a product. And so when Millionaire came along, as I mentioned, there was not a lot of it. It had been a big hit in England, but there was not a lot of encouragement that it was going to be successful here because uh, advanced research on it was that viewers were just not going to be that interested. One of the smartest things they did was to do an advanced marketing campaign with McDonald's Mm -hmm. that... Regis was a part of, and so that at least put the name out for about 30 days before it premiered. It put the name out, who wants to be a millionaire, in front of the public. But the other thing was, is that, okay, here you go. It, It was the same kind of phenomenon that you had in 1955 when the $64,000 question took television by storm and all of a sudden became the number one show in TV because at that point in time, $64,000 was life-changing money. Yep. Uh, your average income in America was $4,000 mm-hmm. at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, 
almost 45 years to a point where for the first time, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to give short shrift to uh, Jim Lang's The One Million Dollar Chance of a Lifetime. Yeah, but, uh, to the extent people remember that show, although I do because being a Bay Area native, I love everything Jim Lang did. Oh, yeah. And, and it, I mean, great guy. But but it was a show that, and, and that was a show that was based on paying people off in annuities. You yeah. got your jackpot, and it was better for taxes, but you got your <laughs> jackpot spread out over 20, 20 to 25 years. Yeah. I mean, when Millionaire was on the air, there were some people that were barely halfway through their payments on yeah. <laughs> from Jim Lang's show. Mm-hmm. But the point about is, you had the stadium atmosphere and the lighting and the music track of Millionaire, the way it was staged, yeah. was very much like the creation of Think Music and the Isolation booth mm-hmm. with the $64,000 question. Mm-hmm. And this is a, I mean, we, we were almost three generations later, and then here you have this brand new look and life-changing amounts of money done in a dramatic style. And people have asked me through the years, well, could somebody else have done that show and been successful? Sure. I could name you several people that could have probably done that show and been successful, but because of his personality, Regis, the right person at the right time and the right situation, because he was a person who connected with those contestants. You really felt like Regis, in those short burst interviews that he would do, you felt like Regis really cared about these people and was sitting there, and even though he wasn't overt about it, he wanted them to win as much money as they could. And I think that's one way you describe Regis. He was not just a communicator, he was a connector. He could be the guy that could go to a party and not know anybody who was there, and in 15 minutes he'd know everybody's name. And I think that was probably the it factor that you had all this drama, you had the biggest jackpot for a single contestant in television history, but you had the right person who could make the glue come together and everything stuck. Steve Beverly is the host of Steve Beverly's TV Classics, weekly two-hour festival of classic TV shows from the 50s and 60s, which streams every week at uh, epluss.tv6.com. You can follow Steve on uh, Facebook and on Twitter. Steve Beverly also uh, was one of the people behind the Game Show Congress for many, many years. He's here with us on the phone, sharing a few memories about uh, the life and legacy and career of Regis Philbin. You go back to the uh, the music and the whole staging of Millionaire, and I'm thinking aloud here. This is a so so bear with me. But when I think of Regis and I think of Millionaire and I think of you know the Are you sure? Are you sure that's your final answer? You know, do you want, do you, and and I when I watched the show when it was originally on, I always called him Satan because it was like he was his job at that point was to sort of tempt the guest or remind them, okay, do you want to play it safe or do you want to go for it? And and sometimes the way they would light him and there the moody music, it's like you know they they kind of played into that and. And part of that is, that's what a game show host does, okay, you know, for, for dramatic tension. Do you want to quit, Steve, or do you want to go for the next step and do and win the big prize? Um, but, but the other thing 
is, and I'd be interested in your take on this. Most game shows, most game shows, uh, Price is Right being one exception, most game shows are 30-minute shows. Millionaire was an hour show, and I think part of what you know Regis was doing in saying, are you sure? Are you sure? You Don't you want to use your lifeline? Is he was doing the practical thing of keeping a 30-minute show going in a 60-minute form. I think you had a big point there with that because if you'll recall in the first 13 that they did in that summer of 1999, mm-hmm. they were half hours except for Sunday nights. Sunday night was always an hour. Mm-hmm. And so they had an opportunity to see how this show played in two different lengths. And it, it actually demonstrated that it worked well both ways. Mm-hmm because it was so fast-moving that the half hour, uh, you would feel like you were just left wanting for more. With the hour version, you felt like that there was a greater chance somebody was going to hit it big uh, in that hour show. And it did not seem like that, that many of the shows today that are revivals that are being staged as one-hour shows are heavily padded. Mm -hmm. They weren't meant to be one-hour shows because if you went back to the original focus of it, I I think about card charts as one example. The new Pressure Luck is another example. Pressure Luck in particular. It's not that it's a badly staged show. It's just that it really should be a half hour. Marty Hall never liked Let's Make a Deal as an hour show because he felt like that it dragged. Mm -hmm. Uh, With so much time that has been taken out for commercials now, there's only 37 minutes of content in Let's Make a Deal today. Uh, With Millionaire, there was about, in, in the hour version with Millionaire, there was about 44 minutes of content. But the bottom line to it is, is that that show was unique in the fact that it could play well as either, and Mm -hmm. you didn't feel like one was being padded, uh, because it was, you know, if a contestant was a weak one and, say, went out at $8,000 or $16,000, fine, get rid of them, let's go on to the next one that may be better. But the glue, again, was that Regis could keep that show moving, even though it was taped and Mm -hmm. edited, Mm -hmm. that Regis could keep that show moving at a pace, at least in the finished product, that made us feel like that it was never one that really dragged. Uh, And, you know, if you had a contestant that would take 10 minutes or longer before they would decide on final answer, uh, of course, it was heavily edited uh, for the viewers at home. Never the less we will ever forget celebrity contestant Valerie Bertinelli that waited 43 minutes (laughs) to make (laughs) (laughs) But, But I think one of the keys is the fact that Regis was really like a traffic cop in all of the elements of that show, which is one of the key things to any great game show host. And And I think one of the things, because this also relied a lot on interviews and getting to know something personally about those contestants, Mm -hmm. Regis was able to employ the skills that he did every day on uh, Regis and Kathleen or Regis and Kelly. Uh, and that is because he was able to do a short burst interview and you felt like you knew who those contestants were to the point that they could be your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. 
Steve Beverly, uh, host of uh, Steve Beverly's TV Classics, which originates uh, every week at ePlusTV6.com. Also one of the people behind the Game Show Congress. Steve is sharing a few memories on the thoughts and career of Regis Philbin. We talked about Regis's roots, early roots as a game show host in the mid-70s with uh, ABC, uh, Almost Anything Goes, and, and The Neighbors. The thing that's easily overlooked about Regis is that while we think of him today as a host, you know, as a connector, as you put it, early in his career, at least early in his network career, not so much his local career, but early in his network career, he was a number two. He was the sidekick. And you know this, with few exceptions, when second bananas are given the opportunity to be number one, they don't always make that transition because they're thought of as second bananas. Regis overcame that. He really did. He had done uh, a syndicated talk show that was the one that replaced Steve Allen mm-hmm. uh, with Westinghouse after Steve had done it for a couple of years that was really a direct head-on challenge to Johnny Carson in syndication. And so Regis, then when Steve gave up that show, uh, Regis took that over but it was never on more than about 40 stations around the country. It was in the very big markets, but you didn't see it get out into the flyover states or the hinterlands. So a lot of people didn't know who Regis Philbin was at that point nationally. But when he was tapped to be the sidekick of Joey Bishop in 1967, when Joey was ABC's first, granted they had done Nightlife in the mid-60s with Les Cream, mm-hmm. but... Joey Bishop was really the big-name challenge. Joey had years of substituting for Jack Parr and then later for Carson, and they felt like this was the one that if anybody could give Johnny a run for his money, it could be Joey Bishop. And so Regis was chosen as the sidekick, and Joey used him more on camera and on stage than Ed McMahon was. Ed was largely the offstage person, but... After Joey would finish his monologue, he'd bring Regis on camera with him. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot more of an interaction between Joey and Regis. And frankly, in that period, and Regis was in his uh, mid-30s at that point, Regis developed a persona almost as every mother's son or every mother's Uh, (laughs) son-in-law. It was was like the guy that you wanted to live next door and marry your daughter. And I I recall, though, that there became, most viewers didn't detect it, but in years later, a lot has been written about the fact that there was tension that developed because Regis started getting more fan mail than Joey Bishop did. And Joey didn't like that quite well. And there was also, because Joey's ratings did not go as high as people in the network thought they should have at ABC, uh, Regis became there were certain network executives that wanted him off the show and so on a a summer night in 1968 and very much reminiscent of the way jack parr walked off the tonight show several years earlier in a dispute with network brass regis when joey called him up for his on-camera portion said that he knew that there were people who didn't want him there, didn't want him to stay with the show, and so he promptly walked off the stage. I remember seeing it, and the audience was just, it was it cast a pall over the remainder of the show that night yeah. because pe- people wondered, you know, why is he leaving? We love reading. <laughs> and five 
nights later, then all of a sudden, after a lot of deliberation behind the scenes, and some people to this day believe that it was a planned walkout, Regis insisted that it never was, and that he really was going to leave the show, but uh, with intervention by Joey and, and some of the network brass, Regis came back, and they played the Notre Dame fight song as he came back, mm-hmm. and they pretty much, in about two minutes, left it behind. But, I, Ed, here's a quick note of an ironic thing that most people don't remember. The night that Regis walked off the show in the summer of 1968, uh, the first guest was Vic Damone, the singer. Uh-huh. And so... In 1969, in November, on Thanksgiving Eve, Joey Bishop was told by his agent that ABC had decided they wanted to cancel the show, that they didn't think, and Merv Griffin had come along on CBS and had taken away a a few stations that Joey had. Mm -hmm. And so ABC decided they wanted to cancel the Joey Bishop show. And so his agent went to him about 10 o'clock in the morning and told him that, and he said, well, when do they want us to end it? And he said, well, he said, to be honest with you, they've got a contract that they're trying to go to negotiate that will start in late December. Uh, the show's going to go on for five more weeks, but if you want to go off, you can go off tonight if you like. And Joey said, let's make it tonight. So Joey came out, did his monologue on Thanksgiving Eve, and then walked away, standing ovation from the audience, It had already been planned that Regis was going to take over and host the show that night. Well, who is the first guest the night Joey walks off the show? Vic Damone. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and here's the other key thing about that, Ed. Vic Damone, the night after he, he was on the show when Regis walked off, Vic Damone went on a European tour, he did European television, European nightclubs. He was gone for about 16 months from American view. Mm -hmm. And so he had not been on television in the United States since the night Regis walked off the show. And so he, when he came over after he sung his song, he said, well, Regis, he said, the last time I was on television in this country, you walked off the show. He said, I'm not sure if I'm going on anybody else's show. <laughs> and, and in many respects, uh, it's because of Regis. Re- Regis kept Vic Damone in the public consciousness because he would, he would be one of many you know, show business figures that would pop up extemporaneously in the course of whatever he was talking about from day to day when he did life. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting that Regis did not get a bounce from the Joey Bishop show, and a lot of people did not see him. He had a, a syndicated show that was done in both New York and Los Angeles and was on in some of the big cities. Regis didn't get a bounce from that, and at one point in time, his career had really sunk so low, and this is nothing against the good people of Omaha, Nebraska, a wonderful town, but at one point in time, Regis was doing sports in Omaha. Mm-hmm. That was where his career had gone, and not until this big bounce that he got. The two shows that he did for ABC in the mid-'70s, Almost Anything Goes, and The Neighbors, were not successful. But through that, he was able to rekindle and reinvent his career in both local and in national television from that. And uh, the the amazing thing in his 60-year career is that he ended up as one of the most beloved performers in the history of the medium. 
Steve Beverly hosts Steve Beverly's TV Classics, a weekly two-hour TCM-like festival of classic TV shows from the 50s and 60s, which streams several times a week at epluss.tv6.com, epluss.tv6.com. Steve Beverly, also a professor of communications arts at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, where he coordinates the broadcast journalism major and serves as the supervisor for the daily student-produced newscast Jackson 24-7. Steve will be back next week to talk about the challenges he and his students have faced this past semester in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. He'll also talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has given his students an opportunity to cover a national breaking news story in real time as they complete their education. Steve Beverly will be back next week for part two of our conversation on TV Confidential. Steve talked about the tension that went on behind the scenes between Regis Philbin and Joey Bishop when Regis was Joey's announcer and on-screen sidekick on the Joey Bishop late night talk show on ABC. When we come back, we will replay a segment that originally aired on the Sounds of Lost Television that not only includes highlights of Regis Philbin on the Joey Bishop show, but comments from Joey Bishop himself by way of an interview with Phil Grice in the early 2000s in which he talked about his relationship with Regis Philbin on and off the air. That is coming up after this quick timeout as we continue our tribute to Regis Philbin here on TV Confidential. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life, but it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415 886 7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.